Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with co-host and guest. <laughs> Former co-host, right? I guess. Former co-host and guest. The list is long at this point. Uh, and that is, of course, Daniel M. Hello, hello. Oh, it's good to hear. That's good to hear that. Hello, hello. It is, there are two inches of snow on the ground in Nashville and people are losing their mind. There is no bread. There is no milk. Um, Hysteria. It's mass hysteria. No, no no Triscuits or toilet paper. Nothing. It's left. Yes. Yet here in Nashville, not here in Nashville, here in Edmonton, there's been perma snow for the last few months and life goes on. <laughs> That's no since Halloween, basically. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right. Legitimately, yeah, we did have snow since Halloween. <laughs> well, uh, of course, um, Daniel does have a new book coming out, which is, tell them about it, Daniel. You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. Man, it's been two years in the making, so it's crazy that it's finally out in the world. It is crazy. I mean, for me, I feel like it's already been out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because we processed it enough. But, mm. um, man, uh, excited for for you to bring another um, book into the world. Uh, it You know, if we look back at uh, even the stuff that you've done on discipleship as we've traveled around and things, I think that's been really helpful for people because it's taking something that, you know, we all kind of think we know, uh, discipleship, and breaking that down into really practical stuff and practical steps. And I think the the beautiful thing that you've done is you, you've done that for the church and now you're doing that for the individual. And it, to me, that book really, it just boils down to identity in Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a central theme. It was interesting. That's not how the book started out. The book started out basically from a talk I gave to leaders and pastors on the gig economy and how it's how it's affecting them, how it's affecting their church and their leadership and all of that. And then the editors at BNH were like, man, you got to write a book on this. And as I um, wrestled with the concept and dug even deeper into the research that continues to come out on this. The question was, Hey, are you writing this to church leaders or are you writing this to those you're preaching to, you know, to those you're reaching? So that's how it ended up being the latter where I broke down these seven lies that everyone believes. Um, but on the podcast, we're talking about more, more about it from the leadership perspective. Oh, totally. So I, you know, my first question really is about how prevalent is the gig economy and how has it grown? But before I ask that, mm-hmm. um, the reason why I was thinking of it from an identity perspective is I do think that it is a shift in further into uh, human nature of, you know, fulfilling my own destiny, um, <laughs> Uh, raising my own self-worth, all these mm. things I think kind of feed in, um, feed into, I don't know, what the, the, the lies that we believe and really the gig economy. So how prevalent is the gig economy and how has it grown? 
Yeah, it's it's crazy. There's a lot of terms that people use to refer to the gig economy, freelance economy, side sharing hustle. economy, side hustle, moonlighting, go down the list. But essentially, the broadest way to define the gig economy is being, you know, if you're self-employed in a part-time or full-time capacity, and if you get paid for your time, skills, possessions, or expertise. Okay, so self-employed, part-time or full-time, you're getting paid for your time, skills, possessions, or expertise. So oftentimes people think, okay, well, I drive for Uber. Well, yeah, gig economy. I rent out my place on Airbnb. I uh, will freelance on Fiverr. I will sell something on Facebook Marketplace. And yeah, you are a part of the gig economy, but you don't actually need an app to be a part of it because, hey, the guy that mows your lawn, well, they're a part of the gig economy. Uh, the person you go get your haircut from, gig economy. Uh, if you've ever babysat for someone else or you've hired a babysitter, once again, gig economy. So you don't need an app to be a part of it. It's either, um, the, the big definition is really you're getting paid for your time, skills, possessions, or expertise. So if that's the definition, if that's the definition, then in 2019, 35% of the American workforce was a part of it. 35%. Damn, so <laughs> I see. Now, some people might think that's high. I assumed that it would be even higher than that. But at the same time, um, I run with different types of people than most people do probably and younger people than most people do. Yeah, well, so with, with that being said, right? I mean, you think 35% of the American workforce, that's 57 million people. So I mean, that, I mean, that's like more people in Canada, Liberia, Greece, and Puerto Rico altogether. So it's, I mean, that is a lot of people, but here's the thing. If you aren't a part of the gig economy, you're funding it. So when you think about it from that perspective, right. whether you're actually making money from it or not, it really does touch every single one of us, kind of like Amazon Prime, right? If you don't have Amazon Prime, you're you know someone who does or you're using someone else's account. It's, <laughs> right? it's like, it's like who doesn't have Amazon Prime? Like, it's just one of those things where you just assume everyone has it. But that, that's, that's kind of the way to think about the gig economy and how it's affecting every one of us. So, okay. What I think is interesting, you know, a lot of uh, church pastors and church leaders listen to the podcast, staff people, that kind of thing. A lot of business leaders, of course, do as well. Um, and mom, mom entrepreneurs. Yeah, I don't mom. know how to say that. I yeah. mean, we I can remember early <laughs> on getting a lot of feedback from from that group of people. So I would think most of our listeners do have a side hustle of some sort because. I think as far back as I can remember, pastors have been doing, pastors have been doing this. I oh, mean, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of staff people as well. Um, yeah. Maybe not in, you know, that's not a large part of what they do, but, you know, speaking here and there or consulting here and there or writing a book in some ways is, is this and, you know. Yeah, any, any type of, of thing like that. Podcasting. Oh, yeah. I mean, you and I both have podcasts that aren't um, on LifeWays Leadership Network, years mm -hmm. in between. And uh, I produce one that is um, Morning and Evening from Charles Spurgeon. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do receive um, financial benefit from that. And then I'm also 
hiring out uh, bits and pieces of that to other people who are participating in the gig economy. So it's crazy. Yeah. That one podcast probably reaches five people. Um, you know, the voice artist and the person who posts and the person who created the website and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. You're benefiting from it and you're funding it for other people as well. It's just, it's become so normal. And what's interesting is when you look at the research, about 68% of all gig workers joined the gig economy in the last five years in the last five years. So you, it, it, it gives you really an idea of how it's hockey sticked up. There's this, I love this site, trends.google.com. And if you're a, uh, if you ever do presentations or if you're a preacher or you you teach, just going, don't go, don't go now listeners, especially if you're on your computer or on your phone, because it's, 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 crazy, insane, because you can actually see people's live searches right now as to what they're searching around the globe. But essentially, I bring up that site because if you search gig economy in trends.google.com, it will show you that a few years ago, it spiked up What you know, about five, six years ago, no one was really searching it. And when you look at the significance of this, and this is a little bit of a, of a tangent, it really is one of the biggest data sets in all of history. We've talked about this idea of, um, of Google being the new priest. Uh, the, the questions that people will ask on Google are, are questions that no one's asking anyone anymore because they, they think it's private, but Google is actually holding all of that and, and tabulating it and cross-indexing and, and doing all of that. So trends.google.com, if you search gig economy, you'll actually see a massive spike in relevancy of search in glo- globally. But here's a, here's a crazy thing. You think U.S., Canada, Australia, the U.K., and I, I that you, you think those are the countries where the gig economy is flourishing the most. And I partly say that because that's where you can find research. But Singapore, Singapore is actually globally the number one place that this is being searched. So it is it is regardless of listeners where you're coming from. This is something that's affecting us globally. Well, and two, I mean, if you think about it. <laughs> um, wherever, I guess, wherever uh, the cost of living is higher, <clears throat> places like Singapore, California, large yeah. cities, I would guess, and I'm, I don't have any research, but I would guess that it would increase in those places. People are looking to make ends meet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's not necessarily uh, a a millennial slash Gen Z thing, even though millennials and Gen Z are, uh, they they do compose a large percentage. I mean, just to give you a sense, uh, about 53% of Gen Z are in the gig economy, about 40% of millennials are in the gig economy, 31% of Gen X and 29% of baby boomers. So every generation really is a part of it, yet we do see an increase the younger you go. Okay, so um, us talking about this a little bit before the the podcast, uh, something struck me on how, how have we seen gig economy show up in church, and how have we kind of contributed to that phenomenon? Yeah, the here's the thing, and this is how I came up with the seven lies in the book. The gig economy 
promises a life of freedom and flexibility. Or in other words, the gig economy's number one promise is a life of control. So when you think about that, the gig economy says things like you have unlimited earning potential. So if you want to go on that trip, gig for a few hours, you want that new outfit, sell a few things, you want the latest phone, hustle for it, right? The gig economy says everyone has discretionary and free time they waste. So just use that time and earn some extra cash. Hey, even when I was in seminary uh, in, in Montreal, I was living in Montreal, pastoring in Montreal, and I drove down to Gordon Conwell in Boston. I ultimately graduated from Fuller, but I did about a year in Gordon Conwell when I was in Montreal. Now that's like a six hour drive where I drove Tuesday morning and I came back Wednesday night is how it happened. And, and I remember my classmates asking me, they're like, how, like, how are you pastoring and you're married and you're driving 12 hours a week and you're studying and you're doing class? Like, how are you doing that? And I'm like, well, we all have discretionary time, don't we? Like how much time do you spend on Halo or Counter-Strike or right. whatever the game was at that time. I think it was those two. And I was like, how much time do you spend on those things or just watching sports? And, you know, they started tabulating and I'm like, yeah, well, that's that's my time driving. So <laughs> and, and, and that's a, it's the truth. It was the truth back then. It's the truth right now. We all have this discretionary time. So the gig economy actually says, hey, hey, you are if you want to live a life of control, if you want to have maximum freedom and flexibility, use that discretionary time, hustle on the side and get things done. So going to your question about how it's affecting the church. Well, people are going to have less discretionary time to serve to give because they're like, oh, well, I could go to this seminar at the church and pay $50 to participate in it. Or I could make a couple hundred dollars and listen to it on YouTube or listen to it on right. ministry grid. Or, you know, I can, I can do my learning on the go rather than just sitting like a lame duck. So there's definitely a sense as to how the gig economy needs to change we, the way we approach leadership development. Flipping the classroom is so important, but it also affects um, I'd say more on the volunteering side of things and the learning side of things more than church, uh, it's like Sunday morning attendance side of things. You know, uh, not to harp on church growth movement again, but I do think that, I really do think that it has affected the seeker movement and church growth movement in some ways made Sunday morning preeminent and not just mm. preaching preeminent, but Sunday morning preeminent, you know, bring your friends here. Um, it's going to be excellent. So mm -hmm. the whole idea of excellence and the importance of excellence um, and uh, less and less, it's not that less and less people are going to church. Uh, I think people are going to church less. Mm. The people that go to church are going to church less. Um, you see that from Lifeway Research and other uh, Pew as well. <clears throat> so it's almost like there's a competition which leads to excellence, which leads to uh, a couple other different things. But the whole idea of excellence on Sunday morning um, I think has meant that people say, well, if you want excellence, if you want people to show up, if you want it to be consistent, I have to pay them. Yeah. And yeah. so you you see a proliferation of – um, you know, here's my 930 preschool hour director and they're no longer a volunteer. They're 10 or 15 hours a week and they're paid. 
um, or, you know, whether it be on stage or behind the soundboard or in some level of production, um, it, maybe it was a volunteer and now it's, um, it's a paid position. Yeah. Well, I know we're going to be doing another episode on the importance of experiences and, and how actually that's one of the lies in the book. You are what you experience. And, and I, I believe that we can actually leverage that for good rather than leveraging it for profit as our society and our culture tries to do and businesses try to do. But I know that's, that's the topic of another podcast episode that we're going to be doing, but going to what you're saying about paying, Man, it's, it's crazy. So we did cost of living adjustments at our church here um, a couple months ago. We could hire another full-time staff member <laughs> with the cost of adjustments, like the small cost of living adjustment that we just did. Like we could literally right. hire another staff member. So it is so easy for staffing costs to balloon up. It, it's, it's so easy. I know this one church that it was up to 85% of their giving was, oh was staffing. And it's not because they wanted it that way, but once you get over that 55, 60% mark, your cost of living adjustments will just, if you don't grow, if you don't grow and your giving doesn't go up and you just do cost of living adjustments a few years, you are going to balloon up. And the more, the higher you go, the easier it is, um, like the more significant that's going to be. So that's why volunteering and leadership development and, and moving from a doing to an equipping culture is so critical for the church. Wow. Okay. So, I don't want to just have the almost negative view of of <laughs> gig economy. Um, how has how is the gig economy beneficial, and what are some ways people you know can participate? Yeah, there. So I I think first of all we need to understand that the gig economy is affecting everyone. And these seven lies in the book, you are what you do, you are what you experience, you are who you know, you are what you know, you are what you own, you are who you raise and you are your past. Each of these actually fund and fuel and come together with the core lie of the gig economy, which is a life of control, a life of ultimate freedom and flexibility. So first of all, we need to understand that it's affecting everyone in your church. It's affecting everyone outside of your church. It's just affecting all of us in our context. But in terms of how we can then leverage it, how we can then leverage it in our context, well, I'm. let's just start with pastoral leadership, right? Let's just talk about all the pastors and church leaders listening in right now. Imagine what would happen if you gigged for 10 hours a week, Right. Not necessarily for the money, but what if you let's say what if you drove for Uber or Lyft just 10 hours a week? Imagine what that would do, not necessarily financially, but imagine what that would do for evangelistic purposes and to have a closer pulse on your community and who's living in your community. And imagine what what you're going to learn about all everyone traveling into your city and, and those who are living there that otherwise you wouldn't have 
those kind of conversations. It's kind of like the new coffee shop. If you remember uh, early on in kind of when emerging stuff was being written and, and the whole idea of go hang out in a watering hole and the missional side of just go to that same, you know, fun businesses and, and hang out at Starbucks. And, you know, if, if you just go to the same coffee shop week after week after week, you're going to have incredible evangelistic conversations. Well, I'm sorry to say the most that you're probably going to have is with the workers there if they stay, <laughs> but not if with anyone. Stay. Yeah. If they say, but not with anyone sitting there because no one wants to talk to you. Uh, okay. Maybe not no one, but maybe one person, <laughs> uh, very few people actually want to talk cause they're there for a reason or they're gigging or, or they're freelancing or they're on their phone and they don't want to have a conversation with you. But Hey, you go in an Uber or Lyft that that's the new airplane conversation. I'd even say more than, do you remember when you'd have like evangelists or pastors or other people in their sermons or in their talks be like, Oh, I was on this airplane and I talked to the person Dude, next to you. And I the, still get to talk to people uh, okay, all the time. Yes. But you're a little bit different. I'd say, I'd say you are still, you have that personality where you are and, and you're, you're constantly looking around for that conversation, but I'm I would aggressive though. Yes, you are. But I would say people are less likely to have those conversations on airplanes now, but Uber and Lyft, I would say st is, that's the new place where everyone is still willing to have a good old fashioned conversation. And it's incredible. It's incredible how, uh, how much your driver or how much your part your passenger will open up. Um, I basically, uh, I basically test the waters with, um, Uber drivers. Um, and with, uh, on a flight, I know I've got more time. Mm -hmm. So I know if I can just ask them questions and get them, um, this is so horrible. Um, uh, <laughs> It sounds bad hearing it come out of my mouth, but it's for Jesus. Yeah. Um, so I will, you know, ask them questions about themselves as much as I possibly can because, you know, they think it's a great conversation because they're talking about themselves. Yeah, that's right. And I genuinely am curious because I'm seeking, you know, to find common ground or whatever. And inevitably at some point in time, unless they're a complete and total narcissist, um, they're like, oh, wait a second. I need to ask him about who he is. Mm -hmm. um, and I just find that, you know, with what we do, it's so easy. It's easy for me to have a conversation because they are absolutely fascinated that there's this guy sitting next to him who's going to go talk to a denomination or, yeah. you know, uh, spend two days with churches. And they're like, you're doing, you're doing what? You're, that sounds like a business guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like, so they're absolutely fascinated that, you know, I've had two years of Greek and Hebrew and mm -hmm. the, then that I can hold a conversation about whatever it is. Yeah, you know. that's right. That's right. Anyway, um, I completely derailed this, but no, guys, no, no. It, it is, it is, don't, <laughs> you got to take advantage of, of conversations like that. Uh, and I do think Uber is, I've had good conversations in Uber, um, but man, it's uh, for me, it's harder in Uber. Well, so the interesting thing about Uber, right? If you're a passenger, the driver is going to want to have a conversation with you because it affects their rating. 
Totally. So there's that incentive on their side. If you're driving for Uber, you obviously need to take each passenger and conversation at a time and see how they're willing to respond. But think about it, right? Just think about it from an evangelistic purpose. You're obviously not trying to fully move people across the line of faith every car ride that you're going to be driving. But imagine if you're there and you ask as the passenger, as you're going to pick up the passenger, Jesus, what would you have for me? Uh, Holy Spirit, show me what I'm to say to this person. And you just you, that's how you approach the conversation. And as you're waiting for uh, waiting to pick someone up, you're driving through your neighborhood and you're praying. You're not praying. You're not walking and praying, but you're driving and praying for your neighborhood. Just imagine the evangelistic opportunity and the relevancy that you'll have now to your context and your culture and in your sermon illustrations and in your teaching illustrations, if you did that. And that's the beauty of the gig economy and the benefit and the opportunity of the gig economy, because hey, 20 years ago, how were you going to do a part-time job if you had to and do your full-time job and raise a family and all that stuff? I mean, you had to have an employer, right? You had to go work at the grocery store right. or at Starbucks or this or that but now you have freedom and flexibility to do it based on your schedule. On this podcast, we equip our listeners with the absolute best resources to help their churches thrive. So if you're looking at launching a thriving church in a rented venue or perhaps a new one that you own, I would encourage you to check out the team at Portable Church. Portable Church Industries equips churches meeting in alternative venues with total solutions so that you can launch strong, be reproductive, and thrive in your community. For over 25 years, they've partnered with church planters and multi-site leaders, mastering creative, intelligent, and effective portable church solutions so that you and your team can stay focused on the thing that really matters, and that's building disciples. If you want to see what this looks like, visit portablechurch.com slash I think another thing that's difficult for uh, leaders, both business leaders and church leaders, is when you're hiring someone, how to judge whether or not it is a good thing or a bad thing that this person has an extra or how to even find out if they have a a, a side hustle. I mean, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> all of that, because I, I mean, you know, I personally it doesn't bother me if somebody has one. I just see them as being driven. It's up to me to make sure that they're responsible. Well, it's up to them to make sure that they're responsible to get their work done. But mm-hmm. um, how does this change the way we hire? Yeah, it's, 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 I wonder if this is like the new, are you pregnant question? You're not really allowed to ask that. You shouldn't really ask it, but you right. kind of want to know. <laughs> So when you think about this question, it's interesting how different individuals will think uh, will will think differently on this. I would say, broadly speaking, boomers are going to be a little bit more anti 
gig or side hustle than a Gen X slash millennial or a Gen Z will. And right. not, not every boomer thinks this way, but the, the general sense in the culture as boomers were growing up was that, Hey, it's moonlighting and moonlighting means you're divided and you're not. And this actually feeds into the whole bivocational ministry shift that we're seeing because bivocational ministry used to be right. you, you aren't good enough to be a full-time pastor. So you have to go get another job, but you're not good enough to do that other job fully either. So the fact that you're bivocational means you, um, you can't really do one thing well. So you're doing two things. Poorly. When you say bivocational, <laughs> I want to be clear. You mean bivocational, not bivocational pastor. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking bivocational pastor and general, and I'm talking about generally speaking, if you were a bivocational pastor, uh, there was this stigma in that you're only doing that because you're not good enough to be a full-time pastor. Not everyone, not everyone, not everyone, obviously, but there was a general stigma before, whereas these days it's not. It's not, it's, there definitely is that shift these days where yeah, bivocational ministries leveraging all know, of your I'm life. I disagree with you on this one. Okay. Okay. Well, because you do have personal, I mean, your dad did do bivocational. Oh, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> there was like maybe one full-time guy in the whole county where I, yeah. where I grew up. Well, maybe that's. Because that was like a necessity. Uh, that was part of the culture okay. there. So like, perhaps that's because it was a smaller context. I'm thinking the context that I was growing up in a larger city context where right. it was like you graduate from seminary and you can't get a full-time pastoring job. So because right. I guess you weren't good enough. So you have to do it part-time until you can figure out how to do it full-time. Whereas these days I'm just saying, I'm just saying the stigma is not there as it, it, it used to be. No, the stigma, I will agree with that. The mm -hmm. stigma may not be there as much as it used to be, especially for a younger guy coming out mm -hmm. and being like, oh, well, you know, I have to work my way up to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, big leagues. Thing. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that that is um, perhaps an unhealthy, it is an unhealthy view. Um, but I, I think that could be correcting in that, I've seen guys uh, more recently who said who've got a, a they're doing work bivocationally they're they're pastoring bivocationally and an opportunity does come up for them to go full time and they say no yeah um, so I do think that that is true Dave. yeah I mean as I think about it more and more as we've fleshed it out I just had mm -hmm. an immediate. Uh, distaste uh, <laughs> that you know. Well, it was bivocational yeah. is somehow JV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because I I would say the idea that your church needs to pay you full time for legit ministry to happen that that's that's what's changing. And when I was at Lifeway, I was bivocationally a teaching pastor at my church there, right. and I was not full time yet. I was preaching from the pulpit at our campuses at both campuses every other week and legit ministry was happening. So I would say if you are the next time you're trying to hire someone on your team and you don't have money for a, uh, a position I, and, and, and maybe even a part-time or a full-time position, I would, I, I wonder because of the prevalency of the gig economy, what if, what if you actually had as a part of your HR or your training or onboarding process, you actually said, hey, we can pay you this much for this role, but what if we helped you find a gig 
and helped you join the gig economy or figure out what employable skill you have that you can get paid <laughs> time, skills, possessions, expertise. And you said that was a part of training. That was a part of development. It was a part of your role. And I mean, what if, what if we actually did that? And that was a part of training rather than being a punishment and saying, well, you need to get better. You need to grow your ministry so that we can pay you full time. It's like, no, this is going to be only this. And we're going to help you grow that side, the gig side, the side hustle side, because of the opportunity that this then presents. Hmm. It's a different way to see it, right? It is a different way to see it. See, Mm -hmm. I would be more apt to say, Hey, what this allows you to do is to try somebody out before you hire them full time. So I would say, Hey, um, now is is a great time to say don't move your I'm not going to move you you know hundreds of miles you and your family hundreds of miles and then a year later figure out if this works um, especially in roles in which that they can do something on a contract basis or something like that like let me just give you a, a, a big project um, or something like that to do on contract uh, and then it's perfectly acceptable now and it's probably perfectly acceptable to your other employer um, without having to get everybody all in a tizzy because, um, you know, we're looking at hiring you and yeah, it just get, it can get messy. This is, I think, a new day where you don't have to let it get messy. Um, you can actually try someone out before you before you hire them. Oh, yeah. I'm even thinking about our friend Holly Brown, who's an executive pastor at a church in a town she doesn't live in. <laughs> in a state. She in a, in a state. region. <laughs> she doesn't live in. Yeah. So when you think about it from that perspective, even the conversations we've had on on hiring EAs or individual, you know, virtual. So there's <laughs> there there are definitely different ways because of the gig economy now. And I'm even thinking about the one of our one of our elders at my church who is so high up in the city as a young guy, he's so high up in the city running the roads being, he's in charge of infrastructure for our city, like a senior, senior guy. And it's, and, 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 and for him, it's like, Hey, don't quit your job. Let's actually figure out a way for you to leverage your calling toward ministry while you continue to hold your position in the city because of the kingdom influence that that can bring about. Whereas in the past, I'd say it's like, Oh wait, you're you're not actually really doing God's work unless you're full-time in a church. And that's just not true anymore. I mean, it never was true, but no, it never was. But I would say because of the gig economy, it, it, there's a greater maybe affirmation or acceptance that that's, that, that it's okay. You know, Daniel, I'm actually starting to feel pretty good about the gig economy. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for, uh, for being on today. And, uh, we are continuing a series on some of the lies that we believe and also just the things that we're facing as we live in this modern day and how we're finding our identity and other things that aren't Christ. 